Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. First half of Chapter 18, Dominance Hierarchies. It was breakfast time on Friday morning. Harry took another huge bite out of his toast and then tried to remind his brain that scarfing his breakfast wouldn't actually get him into the dungeons any faster. Anyway, they had a full hour of study time between breakfast and the start of potions. But dungeons! In Hogwarts! Harry's imagination was already sketching the chasms, narrow bridges, torchlit sconces, and patches of glowing moss. Would there be rats? Would there be dragons? Harry Potter! said a quiet voice from behind him. Harry looked over his shoulder and found himself beholding Ernie McMillian, smartly dressed in yellow-trimmed robes and looking a little worried. Neville thought I should warn you. I think he's right. Be careful of the potions master in our session today. The older Hufflepuffs told us that Professor Snape can be really nasty to people he doesn't like, and he doesn't like most people who aren't Slytherins. If you say anything smart to him, it it could be really bad for you. From what I've heard, just keep your head down, and don't give him any reason to notice you. There was a pause as Harry processed this, and then he lifted his eyebrows. Harry wished he could raise just one eyebrow, like Spock, but he'd never been able to manage. Thanks, Harry said. You might have just saved me a lot of trouble. Ernie nodded and turned to go back to the Hufflepuff table. Harry resumed eating his toast. It was around four bites afterward that someone said, Pardon me? And Harry turned around to see an older Ravenclaw looking a little worried. Sometime later, Harry was finishing up his third plate of rashers. He'd learned to eat heavily at breakfast. He could always eat lightly at lunch if he didn't end up using the time-turner. And there was yet another voice behind him saying, Harry? Yes, Harry said wearily. I'll try not to draw Professor Snape's attention. Oh, that's hopeless, said Fred. Completely hopeless, said George. So we had the house elves bake you a cake. We're going to put one candle in it for every point you lose for Ravenclaw and have a party for you at the Gryffindor table during lunch. We'll hope that'll cheer you up afterwards. Harry swallowed his last bite of rasher and turned around. All right, I wasn't going to ask this after Professor Binns. I really wasn't. But if Professor Snape is that awful, why hasn't he been fired? Fired? You mean, let go? Yes. It's what you do to bad teachers. You fire them. Then you hire a better teacher instead. You don't have unions or tenure here, right? Fred and George were frowning in much the same way that hunter-gatherer tribal elders might frown if you tried to tell them about calculus. I don't know, said Fred after a while. I never thought about that. Me neither. Yeah, I get that a lot. See you at lunch, guys, and don't blame me if there aren't any candles on that cake. Fred and George both laughed as if Harry had said something funny and bowed to him and headed back toward Gryffindor. Harry turned back to the breakfast table and grabbed a cupcake. His stomach already felt full, but he had a feeling this morning might use up a lot of calories. As he ate his cupcake, Harry thought of the worst teacher he'd met so far, Professor Binns of History. Professor Binns was a ghost. From what Hermione had said about ghosts, it didn't seem likely that they were fully self-aware. There were no famous discoveries made by ghosts, or much of any original work, no matter who they'd been in life. Ghosts tended to have trouble remembering the current century. Hermione had said that they were like accidental portraits, impressed into the surrounding matter by a burst of psychic energy accompanying a wizard's sudden death. Harry had run into some stupid teachers during his abortive forays into standard muggle education. His father had been a lot pickier when it came to selecting grad students as tutors, of course. 
but history class was the first time he'd encountered a teacher who literally wasn't sentient. And it showed, too. Harry had given up after five minutes and started reading a textbook. When it became clear that Professor Binns wasn't going to object, Harry had also reached into his pouch and gotten earplugs. Did ghosts not require a salary? Was that it? Or was it literally impossible to fire anyone in Hogwarts even if they died? Now it seemed that Professor Snape was going about being absolutely awful to everyone who wasn't a Slytherin, and it hadn't even occurred to anyone to terminate his contract. And the headmaster had set fire to a chicken. Excuse me? Came a worried voice from behind him. I swear, Harry said without turning around. This place is almost eight and a half percent as bad as what Dad says about Oxford. Harry stamped down the stone corridors, looking affronted, annoyed, and infuriated all at once. Dungeons! Harry hissed. Dungeons! These are not dungeons! This is a basement! A basement! Some of the Ravenclaw girls gave him odd looks. The boys were all used to him by now. It seemed that the level in which the potions classroom was located was called the Dungeons for no better reason than that it was below ground and slightly colder than the main castle. In Hogwarts! In Hogwarts! Harry had been waiting his whole life and now he was still waiting and if there was anywhere on the face of the earth that had decent dungeons, it ought to be Hogwarts. Was Harry going to have to build his own castle if he wanted to see one little bottomless abyss? A short time later, they got to the actual potions classroom, and Harry cheered up considerably. The potions classroom had strange preserved creatures floating in huge jars on shelves that covered every centimeter of wall space between the closets. Harry had gotten far enough along in his reading now that he could actually identify some of the creatures, like the Zabriskan Fontema. Albeit the 50-centimeter spider looked like an Acromantula, but it was too small to be one. He'd tried asking Hermione, but she hadn't seemed very interested in looking anywhere near where he was pointing. Harry was looking at a large dust ball with eyes and feet when the assassin swept into the room. That was the first thought that crossed Harry's mind when he saw Professor Severus Snape. There was something quiet and deadly about the way the man stalked between the children's desks. His robes were unkempt, his hair spotted and greasy. There was something about him that seemed reminiscent of Lucius, although the two of them looked nothing remotely alike and you got the impression that where Lucius would kill you with flawless elegance, this man would simply kill you. Sit down, said Professor Severus Snape. Now. Harry and a few other children who had been standing around talking to each other scrambled for desks. Harry had planned on ending up next to Hermione, but somehow he found himself sitting down in the nearest empty desk next to Justin Finch Fletchley. It was a double session, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, which put him two desks to the left of Hermione. Severus seated himself behind the teacher's desk, and without the slightest transition or introduction, said, Hannah Abbott? Here, said Hannah in a somewhat trembling voice. Susan Bones? Present. And so it went, no one daring to say a word in edgewise, until... Ah, yes, Harry Potter, our new celebrity. The celebrity is present, sir! Half the class flinched, and some of the smarter ones suddenly looked like they wanted to run out the door while the classroom was still there. Severus smiled in an anticipatory sort of way and called the next name on his list. Harry gave a mental sigh. That had happened way too fast for him to do anything about it. Ah, oh, well. Clearly this man already didn't like him for whatever reason. And when Harry thought about it, better by far that this potions professor should pick on him rather than, say, Neville or Hermione. 
Harry was a lot better able to defend himself. Yep, probably all for the best. When full attendance had been taken, Severus swept his gaze over the full class. His eyes were as empty as a night sky without stars. You are here to learn the subtle science and exact art of potion-making. As there is little foolish wand-waving here, many of you will hardly believe this is magic. I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins. This in a rather caressing, gloating tone. Bewitching the mind and snaring the senses. This was just getting creepier and creepier. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even stop her death, if you aren't as great a pack of fools as I usually have to teach. Severus somehow seemed to notice the look of skepticism on Harry's face, or at least his eyes suddenly jumped to where Harry was sitting. Potter, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? Harry blinked. Was that in Magical Drafts and Potions? I just finished reading it, and I don't remember anything which used wormwood. Hermione's hand went up, and Harry shot her a glare which caused her to raise her hand even higher. Tut-tut. Fame clearly isn't everything. Really? But you just told us you'd teach us how to bottle fame. Say, how does that work, exactly? You drink it and turn into a celebrity? Three-quarters of the class flinched. Hermione's hand was dropping slowly back down. Well, that wasn't surprising. She might be his rival, but she wasn't the sort of girl who would play along after it became clear that the professor was deliberately trying to humiliate him. Harry was trying to keep control of his temper. The first rejoinder that had crossed his mind was, Abracadabra. Let's try again. Potter, where would you look if I told you to find me a bazaar? That's not in the textbook either, but in one muggle book I read that a trichinobizor is a mass of solidified hair found in a human stomach, and muggles used to believe it would cure any poison. Wrong. A bazaar is found in the stomach of a goat. It is not made of hair, and it will cure most poisons, but not all. I didn't say it would. I said that was what I read in one muggle book. No one here is interested in your pathetic muggle books. Final try. What is the difference, Potter, between monk's blood and wolf's bane? That did it. You know... In one of my fascinating muggle books, they described a study in which people managed to make themselves look very smart by asking questions about random facts that only they knew. Apparently, the onlookers only noticed that the askers knew and that the answerers didn't and failed to adjust for the unfairness of the underlying game. So, Professor, can you tell me how many electrons are in the outermost orbital of a carbon atom? Severus's smile widened. Four. It is a useless fact which no one should bother writing down, however. And for your information, Potter, Asphodel and Wormwood make a sleeping potion so powerful it is known as the draught of living death. As for Monk's Blood and Wolfsbane, they are of the same plant, which also goes by the name of Aconite, as you would know if you had read 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi. Thought you didn't need to open the book before coming, eh, Potter? All the rest of you should be copying that down so that you will not be as ignorant as him. Severus paused, looking quite pleased with himself. And that will be five points. No, let us make it an even ten points from Ravenclaw for back chat. Hermione gasped, along with a number of others. Professor Severus Snape, Harry bit out. I know of nothing which I have done to earn your enmity. If there is some problem you have with me which I do not know about, I suggest we... Shut up, Potter. Ten more points from Ravenclaw. 
The rest of you, open up your books to page three. There was only a slight, only a very faint burning sensation in the back of Harry's throat, and no moisture at all in his eyes. If crying was not an effective strategy for destroying this potions professor, then there was no point in crying. Slowly, Harry sat up very straight. All his blood seemed to have been drained away and replaced with liquid nitrogen. He knew he'd been trying to keep his temper, but he couldn't seem to remember why. Harry! whispered Hermione frantically from two desks over. Stop, please, it's all right, we won't count it. Talking in class, Granger? Three! So, said a voice colder than zero Kelvin, how does one go about filing a formal complaint against an abusive professor? Does one talk to the deputy headmistress? Write a letter to the board of governors? Would you care to explain how it works? The class was utterly frozen. Detention for one month, Potter, Severus said, smiling even more broadly. I decline to recognize your authority as a teacher, and I will not serve any detention you give. People stopped breathing. Severus's smile vanished. Then you will be... His voice stopped short. Expelled, were you about to say? Harry, on the other hand, was now smiling thinly. But then you seemed to doubt your ability to carry out the threat, or fear the consequences if you did. I, on the other hand, neither doubt nor fear the prospect of finding a school with less abusive professors. Or perhaps I should hire private tutors, as is my accustomed practice, and be taught at my full learning speed. I have enough money in my vault. Something about bounties on a dark lord I defeated. But there are teachers at Hogwarts who I rather like, so I think it will be easier if I find some way to get rid of you instead. Get rid of me? Severus said, now smiling thinly. What an amusing conceit. How do you suppose you will do that, Potter? I understand there have been a number of complaints about you from students and their parents. A yes, but a safe one. Which leaves only the question of why you're not already gone. Is Hogwarts too financially strapped to afford a real potions professor? I could chip in if so. I'm sure they could find a better class of teacher if they offered double your current salary. Two poles of ice radiated freezing winter across the classroom. You will find that the Board of Governors is not the slightest bit sympathetic to your offer. Lucius, that's why you're still here. Perhaps I should chat with Lucius about that. I believe he desires to meet with me. I wonder if I have anything he wants. Hermione frantically shook her head. Harry noticed out of the corner of his eye, but his attention was all on Severus. You are a very foolish boy, Severus said. He wasn't smiling at all now. You have nothing that Lucius values more than my friendship. And if you did, I have other allies. His voice grew hard. And I find it increasingly unlikely that you were not sorted into Slytherin. How was it that you managed to stay out of my house? Ah, yes, because the sorting hat claims it was joking. For the first time in recorded history. What were you really chatting about with the sorting hat, Potter? Did you have something that it wanted? Harry stared into Severus's cold gaze and remembered that the sorting hat had warned him not to meet anyone's eyes while thinking about... Harry dropped his gaze to Severus's desk. You seem oddly reluctant to look into my eyes, Potter. A shock of sudden understanding. So it was you the sorting hat was warning me about. What? said Severus's voice, sounding genuinely surprised, though of course Harry didn't look up at his face. Harry got out of his desk. Sit down, Potter, 
said an angry voice from somewhere he wasn't looking. Harry ignored it and looked around at the classroom. I have no intention of letting one unprofessional teacher ruin my time at Hogwarts. I think I'll take my leave of this class and either hire a tutor to teach me potions while I'm here, or if the board is really that locked up, learn over the summer. If any of you decide that you don't care to be bullied by this man, my sessions will be open to you. Sit down, Potter! Harry strode across the room and grasped the doorknob. It didn't turn. Harry slowly turned around and caught a glimpse of Severus smiling nastily before he remembered to look away. Open this door. No. You are making me feel threatened, said a voice so icy it didn't sound like Harry's at all. And that is a mistake. Severus's voice laughed. What do you intend to do about it, little boy? Harry took six long strides forward away from the door until he was standing near the back row of desks. Then Harry drew himself upright and raised his right hand in one terrible motion, fingers poised to snap. Neville screamed and dived under his desk. Other children shrank back or instinctively raised their arms to shield themselves. Harry, don't! shrieked Hermione. Whatever you're going to do to him, don't do it! Have you all gone mad? Slowly, Harry lowered his hand. I wasn't going to hurt him, Hermione. I was just going to blow up the door. Though now that Harry remembered it, you weren't supposed to transfigure things that were to be burned, which meant that going back in time afterward and getting Fred or George to transfigure some carefully measured amount of explosives might not have been such a good idea. Silencio! Harry tried to say, what? and found that no sound was coming out. This has become ridiculous. I think you've been allowed to get yourself in enough trouble for one day, Potter. You are the most disruptive and unruly student I have ever seen, and I don't recall how many points Ravenclaw has right now, but I'm sure I can manage to wipe them all out. Ten points from Ravenclaw. Ten points from Ravenclaw. Ten points from Ravenclaw. Fifty points from Ravenclaw. Now sit down and watch the rest of the class take their lesson. Harry put his hand into his pouch and tried to say marker, but of course no words came out. For one brief moment that stopped him, and then it occurred to Harry to spell out M-A-R-K-E-R using finger motions, which worked. P-A-D, and he had a pad of paper. Harry strode over to an empty desk, not the one he'd originally sat down in, and scrawled a brief message. He tore off that sheet of paper, put away the marker and pad in a pocket of his robes for quicker access, and held up his message, not to Snape, but to the rest of the class. I'm leaving. Does anyone else need to get out? You're insane, Potter, Severus said with cold contempt. Aside from that, no one spoke. Harry swept an ironic bat to the teacher's desk, walked over to the wall, and with one smooth motion yanked open a closet door, stepped in, and slammed the door shut behind him. There was the muffled sound of someone snapping his fingers, and then nothing. In the classroom, students looked at each other in puzzlement and fear. The potions master's face was now completely enraged. He crossed the room in terrible strides and yanked open the closet door. The closet was empty. One hour earlier, Harry listened from inside the closed closet. There was no sound from outside, and no point in taking risks either. C-L-O-A-K, his fingers spelled out. Once he was invisible, he very carefully and slowly cracked open the closet door and peeked out. No one seemed to be in the classroom. The door wasn't locked. It was when Harry was outside the dangerous place and inside the hallway, safely invisible, that some of the anger drained away and he realized what he'd just done. 
what he'd just done. Harry's invisible face was frozen in absolute horror. He'd antagonized the teacher three orders of magnitude beyond anything he'd ever managed before. He'd threatened to walk out of Hogwarts and might have to follow through on it. He'd lost all the points Ravenclaw had and then he'd used the time-turner. His imagination showed him his parents yelling at him after he was expelled. Professor McGonagall disappointed in him and it was just too painful and he couldn't bear it and he couldn't think of any way to save himself. The thought that Harry allowed himself to think was that if getting angry had gotten him into all this trouble, then maybe when he was angry he'd think of a way out. Things seemed clearer somehow when he was angry. And the thought that Harry didn't let himself think was that he just couldn't face this future if he wasn't angry. So he cast his thoughts back and remembered the burning humiliation. Tut tut! Fame clearly isn't everything. Ten points from Ravenclaw for backchat. The calming cold washed back through his veins like a wave reflected and returning from some breaker, and Harry let out his breath. Okay, back to being sane now. He was actually feeling a bit disappointed in his non-angry self for collapsing like that and wanting only to get out of trouble. Professor Severus Snape was everyone's problem. Normal Harry had forgotten that and wished for a way to protect himself. And let all the other victims go hang? The question wasn't how to protect himself, the question was how to destroy this potions professor. So this is my dark side, is it? Bit of a prejudiced term, that. My light side seems more selfish and cowardly, not to mention confused and panicky. And now that he was thinking clearly, it was equally clear what to do next. He'd already given himself an extra hour to prepare, and he could get up to five hours more if required. Minerva McGonagall waited in the headmaster's office. Dumbledore sat in his padded throne behind his desk, dressed in four layers of formal lavender robes. Minerva sat in a chair before him, opposite Severus in another chair. Facing the three of them was an empty wooden stool. They were waiting for Harry Potter. Harry? Minerva thought despairingly. You promised you wouldn't bite any teachers. And in her mind, she could see very clearly the reply. Harry's angry face and his outraged response. I said I wouldn't bite anyone who didn't bite me first. There was a knock at the door. Come in, Dumbledore called. The door swept open and Harry Potter entered. Minerva almost gasped out loud. The boy looked cool, collected, and utterly in control of himself. Good more, Harry's voice suddenly cut off. His jaw dropped. Minerva tracked Harry's gaze, and she saw that Harry was staring at Fox where the phoenix sat on its golden perch. Fox fluttered his bright red-golden wings like the flickering of a flame and dipped his head in a measured nod to the boy. Harry turned to stare at Dumbledore. Dumbledore winked at him. Minerva felt she was missing something. Sudden uncertainty crossed Harry's face. His coolness wavered. Fear showed in his eyes, then anger, and then the boy was calm again. A chill went down Minerva's spine. Something was not right here. Please, sit down, said Dumbledore. His face was now serious once more. Harry sat. So, Harry, I've heard one report of this day from Professor Snape. Would you care to tell me what happened in your own words? Harry's gaze flicked dismissively to Severus. It's not complicated, said the boy, smiling thinly. He tried bullying me the way he's been bullying every non-Slytherin in the school since the day Lucius foisted him off on you. 
As for the other details, I request a private conversation with you concerning them. A student who is reporting abusive behavior from a professor can hardly be expected to speak frankly in front of that same professor, after all. This time, Minerva couldn't stop herself from gasping out loud. Severus simply laughed. And the headmaster's face grew grave. Mr. Potter, one does not speak of a Hogwarts professor in such terms. I fear that you labor under a terrible misapprehension. Professor Severus Snape has my fullest confidence and serves Hogwarts at my own behest, not Lucius Malfoy's. There was silence for a few moments. When the boy spoke again, his voice was icy. Am I missing something here? End first half of chapter 18 Thank you to the following people. Minerva McGonagall, read by Autumn Rachel Dryden. Dumbledore, Drake Walker. Hermione Granger, Anonymous. Severus Snape by Brian Jones. Ernie McMillan, Eric Starling. Fred and George Weasley by Greg Krauss. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Come back next week for the second half of Chapter 18, Dominance Hierarchies. <laughs>